God, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. I want to thank you, guest God, for hopefully a good weekend that people have had. Even just I'm seeing right now the sun shining through at least for a minute. We thank you for that grace. And um, God, we want to thank you for our time to get to be in your word. We, we don't want to take that lightly. That you, God, spoke creation into existence. And you're now a God who speaks to us through your word, through the Bible. And would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, give us open hearts and lives to respond as you're calling us to. I pray, Jesus, you really would be the hero today, hero of this text. There are definitely some things that you have commanded us to do, but we also know that at the end of the day, our hope is not in fulfilling those things. Our hope is in you who live the perfect life we can't live. So God, would you set our minds and our hearts on you? Holy Spirit, do your work and remove me as any kind of potential distraction and obstacle to that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, um, I came across a quote by Ronald Reagan. And it was, I think, in an interview that he gave uh, after an assassination attempt had taken place on his life. So if you're not familiar with President Reagan's uh, story, there were some assassination attempts. There was one in which he actually went to the hospital, later found out that it was way more serious than people thought. He nearly bled to death. And so reflecting back on that, and he's looking back on how he had survived it, he said these words, I had a new sense that I was spared for a purpose and that all my time belonged to God after that. And at the time when I read that quote, it just stuck out to me because, yes, he was saved from something. He was saved from the assassin's bullet and from death. But looking back, he says not only was he saved from something, but even more than that, he was saved for something. And that resonated me at the time and even still to this day because, man, as I just think of my identity in Christ and I think of my identity as a Christian, man, I and you and we as Christians have been saved from something. If you're maybe new to church or you're just checking out Christianity or whatever, let me bring you up to speed maybe for just like one, one and a half minutes um, if this is new for you. Um, As Christians, what we believe is there's really only two options for reality and for existence. Either something was created out of nothing randomly, or I should say it was created. Something came into existence out of nothing randomly, or someone created something out of nothing intentionally. It's really the only two options out there. Either something came in from nothing randomly, or someone created something from nothing intentionally. As Christians, we believe the second thing. And we believe that God who created the world and the universe created humans and wanted to have a relationship with us, but then we sinned. Sin is anything that you think, feel, say, do that either displeases God because it's something that he wouldn't have us do or that he would have us do, but we don't do. And so we sinned and our relationship with God was fractured. And because of that, every human has every reason to be punished for their sin by this infinite, incredible God. But God, because he loves the world, didn't want to put his judgment on all humans. Instead, he sent his one and only son, John 3, 16, classic verse. He sent his one and only son so that ever who believes in him wouldn't have to receive that judgment but could receive life. And the way Jesus did this is he lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live. So like every place where we've done something that displeased God or not done something then that displeased God, Jesus had a perfect track record. So he lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live, but then to absorb the judgment that was due us, he went on the cross and he died the death that we should have died. 
And then what we believe is that three days later, he was rose, risen from the grave. And because of that, we can have life because he defeated sin and death once and forever. That's the gospel. And listen, right now, I could say amen. We could bring the band up and we could worship the rest of the day. Like that is enough fuel right there. Just a little minute summary that I gave to worship forever. But what I want us to see this morning is that, yes, we have been saved from really bad things. We've been saved from our sin, from the wrath of God, from an existence apart from God forever in hell. We have been saved from that. But what we also see in the scriptures is that we are saved for something, not just from something. That actually the second you believe, you're not just saved from these terrible things, you're saved for this incredible thing as well. And I just want to remind us of a few, just really two of those basic things this morning. It's going to be kind of a back to basics morning, nothing too crazy and profound, but I will say this, if you will simply remember them and actively live into them by the grace of God, they will profoundly change your life and the world around you. And here's even maybe just to kind of even just say maybe the urgency of this, of like why I think you need to lean in. I just think life is so short to live without a sense of purpose and really to live without God's purpose in your life. I was meet with my son earlier this week. We're reading a book together and I just said, Nate, not to freak you out, but like my heart for you is that if you were to die today or tomorrow, you could be able to stand before God and even just echo the words that we see in the book of Acts, I believe, where it says of the guy, the guy in the Old Testament named David, it said, he served and fulfilled God's purposes in his generation and then he died. Ah, I want that to be true of Nate. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of all of you, whether it's today, tomorrow, 50 years from now. I want it to be able to be said of you, that person served God's purposes in their generation and then they died because life is so short to live without purpose or the wrong purpose. In fact, a few years ago, I was reading this book, um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Anyone ever heard of that or heard of Simon Sinek? He, he has this circle drawn that we're going to put on the screen. It's called the Golden Circle. He talked about how a lot of companies and organizations, and maybe even some churches, um, you have what, so it's what they do. And a lot of companies and organizations focus on that. But then there's how they do it, which is maybe how they differentiate what they do from other companies that have the same what. But then he said, what so few actually get to or really they don't start with is they don't start with why the purpose of what they're doing and so he encourages organizations to start with why but that same thing in mind as I began looking at other Christians I thought man I feel like either the why for a lot of Christians is missing or it's gotten confused and so I kind of use the same drawing to, to maybe label some different types of people that I see there's what I call the drifter these are people including Christians who they just don't live with a sense of purpose they're kind of just drifting through life. Like they have things they do, the what, but it changes a lot. They change from job to job. They do it different ways. They're in this, they're in that, but it's always changing, changing in and out of jobs and relationships. They just kind of drift through life. They wake up, so they go to job, whatever the job they have at that time. So then they go home, they eat their dinner, they binge Netflix, they get up and they do the same thing over and over. They're just drifting through life without any sense of purpose. There's other people, though, that I think that's a minority. This next group, I think, is actually the much bigger group. They're what I call the wasters. And we can all, by the way, kind of go in and out of these different things at any time. So it's not that you only are in one camp forever. Wasters are people who have a why, but what they've done, if you can't see it too well because now the sun is shining, there's a circle around the what and it points up to the why. What these people do is they take a what and they make it their why. So, so these are people that make their job or even things like their family, their spouse, their kids, um, a hobby, whatever it is, they take something that's not necessarily a bad thing, but they make it their ultimate thing. And I call these people the wasters because ultimately what happens is when you take something that's not actually bad, it can be good, but you make it the ultimate thing, 
you're wasting why God would have you use that for. That actually, God has an ultimate purpose, that is the ultimate thing, and if you're replacing his purpose with that purpose, you're spending your life on something that's not eternal, and you're not using it for whatever he is doing both in this world and for the next, so you're just, you're wasting the opportunity that God has for that. Then there's a third group, and these are the realizers. These are the people that have a why, but their why is God's why. Their purpose is God's purpose. And then they also have other things that they do. We've got some hats up here somewhere behind me, I think. We're going to get to those in a minute that kind of represent the different things we do. They have things like jobs and school or um, family. They have those things too, but at the center of who they are is God's why. God's purpose is their purpose. And I just wanted this morning to say, hey, let's remind ourselves of what just some of these elementary purposes are as disciples of Jesus. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. That's where we're going to find these. Just three verses, Mark chapter three. You can be flipping your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in front of you. We'll also have it up there on the screen for you. We're gonna see in this little passage, Jesus calls um, 12 guys to follow him. And we're really gonna see two of the foundational purposes. Again, things that we weren't simply saved from, but these are actually two big things that we were saved for. Again, not profound, but if you actually live into them, they will profoundly change your life. Let's uh, stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll put up the verses on the screen here in just a second for you. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And he, referring to Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that purpose, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Feel free to have a seat. So, so clear. So he calls 12 people to him and then it just says it, that. So this is where Jesus gives the purpose. Again, the thing that he is gathering these people together for, and we really see two simple things here. First thing is that they might be with them. Now, when we read this, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, like they're just going to hang out together, or they're going to walk around together. Like, no, like in this culture, people would have seen very quickly that Jesus was what many people would have considered to be a rabbi. And this culture, in Jewish culture this time, rabbis were very common. And here's what it meant for someone then to become a disciple of the rabbi. A rabbi would be walking around. If you wanted to be that rabbi's disciple, you would go and attach yourself to that rabbi. And then really, you were doing three things. You were learning from the rabbi, you were increasingly living like the rabbi, and then you were leading other people to the rabbi. So discipleship in this culture was that you were attaching yourself to somebody, learning from them, living increasingly like them, and leading other people to them. This is what discipleship looked like in this culture. As an aside, this isn't the main purpose of this text, but I did think it was just so cool and I wanted to highlight it. Um, here in this text, they don't come to him. So usually in the culture, if you're a disciple, you want to go to someone and approach them, and you're just attaching yourself to that person saying, I want to learn from you, and I want to live like you, and I want to lead others into your way. Jesus picks the people. I love it. It says he chose those whom he desired. And this isn't just true of these 12. It's true of each of us that if you were a follower of Jesus, that means that Jesus looked at you and said, I want you. Like, I pick you. And, and not because like you're awesome and had all your stuff together and Jesus' team wouldn't be complete if you weren't on the team. No, he looked at you and actually even the Bible tells us you really didn't have anything to offer at all. 
Like that's the idea is like we all have our sin. We all have our brokenness. If anything, we're all disqualified from following Jesus. But Jesus looked at us and said, hey, I pick you just because I choose to, because I want to, because I love you, which is good news, by the way. Because if Jesus picked you or me because of anything that we had to offer, the problem with that is that what if I don't have to offer it anymore? If it's based on what I do, what happens when I'm not doing it? Well, then he doesn't want me on the team anymore. But if Jesus just picks me and wants me on the team simply because he chose to love me and because he picked me just because he wanted to, I mean, if Jesus then also never changes, then that guess what? He always wants me on the team. I don't know. Just a cool thought. A little side note. Hope it encourages you. Man, Jesus picked you. What a thought. Well, why did he pick you? Two things we see here. Again, number one, to be with him. Which, let me just put it this way. I'll just phrase this two different ways for us this morning, the two purposes. Man, the first purpose, to be with him. But let me phrase it in a different way. Jesus gives us an incredible invitation to be his disciples. So purpose number one, things that you weren't just saved from, saved for. Purpose number one, that Jesus saves you. He invites you to be his, I would even say, lifelong disciple. To be someone who increasingly would just learn from Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus in every sphere of your life. In fact, speaking of that, let me actually go to these um, hats that I have here behind me. Here's how I think, let's just make this as practical as we can, that a lot of us operate. We have all these different hats that we wear um, in different spheres of our lives. We got like our job, for example. So when we're at our job, we're kind of thinking about our job and we're working on our job. We're trying to be an employee and try to do this and that. So we've got that hat that a lot of us wear. Others of us have the school hat. Like if you're in any kind of school, including college, you got the school hat on, and so you're there, and you got this hat on now. And some of you, by the way, wear both hats. Like my son works, and he's at school, and so like he's wearing the school hat sometimes, and he's wearing the job hat at others. And when you were here, I'm got to think, okay, I got to make a really good grades, and I got to study, and I got to do th- this and that. Oh, and then you got the leadership hat that some of you have on here. This could be leadership in your families or at your work. You could be on the board of a nonprofit. You could be leading at the church. So I'm like, okay, now that I'm here and I got this hat on, now I got to lead. Are you getting tired yet, by the way, um, of all these different hats you got to wear? Oh, then you have a really small hat in your life, this is the relationships hat, right? This is where the least drama and tension is in your life. And uh, yeah, so you got the relationship hat on. It's like your friendships, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're married, if you're a parent, you got all these different relationships hats. So it's like I got my job hat, I got my leadership hat, I got the school hat, potentially I got my relationships hat. We also have, we're here right now, we got the church hat on, right? Because it's like, all right, I got to go to church, and when I'm at church, this is the hat that I've got on, and this is the stuff that I got to do. I got to remember to take communion the right way or people will look at me weird and stuff like that. I know you thought it, or at least some of you have. If I'm the only one, I'm really embarrassed right now. All right. Um, oh, the weekend hat, right? Because this like represents all of your leisure time. So it's like, I got this hat on and all these different things. Oh, and then by the way, if we function life this way, we're like, we have got all these different hats we're on. What can happen is Jesus just becomes one more hat, right? It's like, all right, but I, I know as a Christian, I got to read my Bible, I got to pray, I got to do all these different things like to keep my relationship with Jesus strong, and he just becomes one more hat. Um, I think instead what Jesus is inviting us into is instead of seeing him as one hat of many, that actually we would just see the call to discipleship as a call to really reimagine your whole identity and to say, I've got the Jesus hat on wherever I'm at, at any time, in any place. So like, let's just make this practical, okay? Let me grab some of these again. So instead of saying, all right, I got my job hat on and like I did my Jesus thing hopefully in the morning, I hopefully read my Bible and prayed and now let me go put my job hat on. Instead, it's like, let me see if I can find the job hat. I don't have to put the job hat on. Instead, it's like, no, 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 I got the Jesus hat on all the time. So when I go into my job or when I'm handling the finances that I earned from that job, I'm just saying, hey, Jesus, 
what would it look like to be more like you in my job? And how I treat my employees or my coworkers or my supervisors and how I talk to them and how hard I work or the quality of work or the integrity of my work when it comes to the finances, how you would have me use those from the job that I'm getting the money from. Like, what, what would you have me do here? How can I learn from you? That's why even as we've, we're taking a pause this week, obviously, from net worth since Rob is out, the whole idea of net worth at the beginning, if you don't remember, is Rob just said, hey, like, what if Jesus was your chief financial advisor? He is your savior. We want him to be that. That's the foundation. We already hit that. But it's like, hey, what if also he taught you how to handle your finances? So what if instead of seeing your relationships as a separate hat from Jesus, what if, well, I just messed up the whole illustration. Um, <laughs> what if, what if you walk into your relationship and say, no, 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 I don't like put the relationship hat on now. It's like, no, 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 Jesus, how would you have me be a husband today? How would you have me be a dad right now in this moment? How would you have me be a friend to this person who's going through this thing? So, so instead of changing all the hats all the time, it's like, no, no, no. In every little situation, in every little sphere of my life, whether it's school, relationships, jobs, hobbies, and everything in between, I just realized, hey, one of my purposes is to be a disciple of Jesus. So everywhere I'm at, I'm always asking myself, Jesus, what would you have me learn here? How would you have me be like you here? And we're going to fail. Like, let's just say that out loud. We're going to fail. But that's why we started with the idea of you were saved from something, from punishment, from wrath. So when you fail, you're not doing this to get God to love you or to save yourself, to try to get better. Instead, you're saying, all right, I've already been saved. Jesus' forgiveness has already been given to me. Now I'm just trying to increasingly, by the grace of God, become more like him. So what if every day you just woke up in every little sphere of your life, you just said, Jesus, how would you have me live here? What would you have me do here? How can I be more like you here in this moment? Okay, so purpose number one, I'm going to come back to this hat here in a few minutes. Purpose number one, Jesus gives us an incredible invitation to be his disciples. But there's a second purpose, and, and, and often what I've seen is Christians sometimes stop here. So it's like, all right, they want to become more like Jesus, they want to have a better relationship with Jesus, and that's awesome. That's a huge part of the purpose for your life once you're saved. But there's a second purpose that I've found that some people don't get to. But it's in the same sentence. Look at this. Um, let's go back. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him. We hit that. And, key word, circle that word, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So yes, number one, Jesus gives us an incredible invitation to be his disciples. But purpose number two, Jesus gives us an insane mission as his disciples. I use the word insane intentionally. It's insane because the mission he gives us is actually just a continuation of what Jesus already kicked in motion 2,000 years ago. Um, let's go back two chapters in the book of Mark. Mark um, uh, chapter 1, verse 39. Listen to what it says what Jesus was doing. And he, meaning Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and doing what? Casting out demons. Two chapters later, Jesus goes to 12 people. By the way, most scholars would say that all but maybe one were teenagers, like middle schoolers and high schoolers. And he goes to them and says, hey, you see all the stuff I've been doing, now you go do it. And this wasn't like at the end. Like we often go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? After Jesus had been with them for three or four like years and they'd seen all these things and then he finally sends them out. Like we have that conception sometimes of mission, like oh, I've gotta get myself ready and I gotta be mature enough before I can step into it. They're not ready yet. He goes to me and says, hey, all the stuff I've been doing, now you go do it too. Like, that's insane. 
It's insane, number one, just like that he would ask them to do that in a sense. It's insane that they get to be a part of it. And if you don't see it here, let me just quickly take you to John chapter 14, because to me it's even more clear there. Um, I, I read this verse a few weeks ago when I was just in my private study, and it lit me up. I hope it lights you up. John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking to these same people. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus looks at these same teenagers, and he says, if you believe in me, you're going to do the stuff I've been doing. Actually, you're going to do greater things. <laughs> like, imagine if you're the guys right there and you're listening to like, like, we've seen you raise people from the dead. Like, <laughs> like we've seen you heal blind people. Like, how do you, like, how are we supposed to do great? Like, how do I top that? And let me just, like, go ahead and, like, take the tension or, like, the pressure away. Like, the, the purpose of this verse is not to say that you and I are going to do bigger miracles than Jesus. He saved the world from their sins. You're not really going to top that. Um, so just take, like, the pressure off of you for that. Instead, I think here's what this verse is referring to. In these same passages around here, Jesus talks about how if he goes to the, back to the Father, then we are then going to receive the Spirit. And what Scripture is going to tell us is that when we become believers in Jesus, true legitimate believers, and we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And one of the things then that we do is we get to do the things that Jesus would be doing if he were still here physically, but we get to do them in places he never would be physically. I just gave you a mouthload of words. Let me break it down for you. Jesus never physically was in Ferndale, Linden, Blaine, Sutton Valley, wherever you live, but you are. And if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, it means that you have the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus wants to continue the work that he got started, but through you in those places. That's why, or one of the reasons why, in the Bible, we're called the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the representatives of Jesus in places that he never was physically, but that we are physically. Jesus was never in your family physically, but you are. Jesus never went to your job, whatever job you have, but you're there. And so you were called not just to have a relationship with Jesus, but to also be a representative of Jesus. And it's just awesome. Like, this is where I'm just saying, like, this is where, to me, if you will like, lean into this, again, this is not profound, but it will profoundly change things. If you will lean into this, everything about your life changes. Like, let me just go back to this hat. If in every situation, like, you walked into your schools and you thought, not only, Jesus, how would you have me live like you here? Hey, Jesus, how can I be your representative here right now? I'm just telling you, like, he will answer that prayer and insanely awesome things will happen. And I don't just mean like you're gonna do miracles. I mean even just like little what I would like to call divine appointments are gonna begin happen if you begin asking that prayer. If you go into your job and say, Jesus, like how can I be a representative at my job? God's gonna start using you in some insane ways in your job. And I've seen it in my own life. Um, let me give you, though, a time that I succeeded in a time recently that I began failing at doing literally what I'm encouraging you to do. Um, 
you know, just as kind of, and this is kind of like one of those like cool like God moments, like, oh, wow. And I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but it's just a good example of what can happen. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee um, a year after, really the year after I um, graduated from college and decided I was going to do a year of life there, worked like four or five different part-time jobs. I was a substitute teacher, like for middle school. That was really fun. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that. I was an archivist in a Southern Baptist uh, library. Um, I made music videos, not like the director, I like held stuff. And uh, I like worked a lot of different jobs. It was really, really, really fun year. It really actually was. So I lived downtown in between Vandy and Belmont. If you know Nashville, that's like the kind of a cool area to live. If you know the pancake pantry, I could walk there. It's probably why I gained 20 pounds the year I was there. It was really, really, really awesome, okay? So one of the things though that I noticed when I was living downtown is there's just a huge homeless population living like between all the different streets around where I was living. So I just began saying, okay, God, like, I'm passing these people every day in my car, and as I'm walking, like, what do you want me to do about this? Like, how can, like, what would you have me do here? And so a friend of mine that I was working with, we just began going and hanging out with him. Uh, true story, first person I ever sat down with that was homeless in Nashville, I go to him and say, hey, you know, I sit down with him just saying, hey, my name's Paul, and he's like, hey, my name is Satan. Like you do. And, uh, you know, it's like, wow, of all the people, I sat next to the Prince of Darkness. That's fun. Um, you know, no, I'm, like, and I couldn't tell, by the way. He may have, like, really thought that, or he may have just been trying to freak me out to, like, scare me away so I'd, like, leave him alone kind of a thing. So we just began doing some stuff with him. Well, one night, um, we were really dumb. And we decided to go underneath this uh, bridge by the river where no one could see us to hand out coats and blankets. And I say it's like good heart to take care of homeless people when they're cold. Really stupid to go in a place where no one saw us. Oh, and like I left this out of the night because like, well, why didn't you just call people with what I'm about to describe? Like what we would do is we would took out like all of our money, like phones. We took everything. So like if they tried to like take anything from us, we'd say like, listen, we, we got nothing on us. So if you want to take our clothes, cool. But like we got nothing else on us whatsoever. We even like hit our keys somewhere. So no way to contact people. It was a dumb thing, but sure enough, we did it. And where we jumped over the bridge, the word death was written there. So that's fun, too. And yeah, I know you're like, wow, Paul, you were stupid. I know. I was 23. Um, <laughs> all right. Where was that? Okay. So we go down there. They're cold. I'm going to go up to this guy. We don't see anyone there. All of a sudden, though, I go up into kind of a corner, and I see someone kind of like just on the ground. And when we get up to him, he stands up, and he is just bleeding profusely. He had gotten in a fight. Someone headbutted him. His nose is just First, it opened. So I go, all right, dude, we got we to gotta get you up to the street. We can't call the police. We're just going to have to run and find one. So we get him up to the street. We start running down the street. There's a lot of cops in the downtown area thinking, okay, this isn't going to be hard to find one. Um, we don't see anyone. We get, you know, a little bit of ways. And then we saw another guy, part of that same community. His name was Jimbo. He's struggling a little bit. We thought maybe, you know, sometimes he did drinks. So thought maybe it was that. But when we get up to him close, we can see he's holding his chest. And we're like, hey, Jimbo, are you okay? He's like, well, I've had a couple of heart attacks before, and I think I'm having another one. So we're like, all right, go find the bleeding guy, and we'll be right back. And so we're like, all right. He's like, down there, just go and sit down. We'll be right back. So we just start running around, like, on the street. Don't see any cops, don't see anyone. And, like, eventually, we're just getting in desperation mode. So one of us, I forget who it was, we get to the end of the street. We're about to have to turn, and we're not going to see these guys anymore, and we're really worried about that. We just yell out in a desperation prayer, God, would you just send us an ambulance? We turn the corner, and right there on the side of the road, ambulance. <laughs> getting chills now thinking about it, Okay. And by the grace of God, they get down there. Both of those guys are taken to the hospital. Both of them were fine. I don't tell you that story, number one, to say I'm the hero or the other guy I was with was a hero. I don't tell you that story to say, hey, every time you do this, something big like that's going to happen. It was just an example, though, of like when we just stopped my friend and I said, God, would you just use us? 
And sometimes it was big things like that. Other times it was just I'd end up in an interaction with a guy who was hungry or a lady that was hungry, and I'd go get him Wendy's or something and bring it back to him, have a little combo. When you begin praying that prayer, God will answer if you have the eyes open to see. Um, recently I've done a bad job of this, though. I'm just going to own this. Um, I, what I noticed probably about a month or two ago, I had not seen neighbors for months. Uh, we had been super busy in our family. We had like three sports going on, and it was the summer. Schedules were kind of crazy. Then we had all that smoke that came, like you didn't want to be outside. But I was like, you know, when we moved here, we really said we wanted to live on mission with our neighbors, and I haven't seen them for like months. And that's not cool. So I just started praying, God, would you just give us ways and interactions that we can begin being missional with our neighbors. So we run into um, a couple that have some kids. They had just moved in a month or two ago. I felt so bad we hadn't interacted with them yet. When Amy and I were just walking our dog, we happened to run into them, get to know each other a little bit. There comes that awkward moment for a pastor where he says, hey, so what do you do for your job? And you're like, why is that awkward? It's awkward because you just don't know how that's going to go. Like, especially if they've already dropped a, cuss word in fr- a curse word in front of you. And they're like, oh, I'm a pastor. You can tell, like, oh. Like, you know, some people were cool about it. Some people were not. He was kind of in between. I could tell maybe felt a little awkward. And so I was like, all right, God, just give me opportunities with this guy. And um, what's cool is, is then about a week or two later, and I told him what church I was a part of. He uh, emailed me and said, hey, looked up your church. I have some questions about the Bible. Could we get together and just talk? And proud to report, like a week and a half ago, we were able to meet. And definitely not a Christian, but it was asking some great, great questions. And we were able to have a great talk. Um, didn't come to faith, so we can continue praying over that. But just we had a great talk. And it was just an example of like, I, I just wanted to be vulnerable with you. Like, you, did you hear what I told in my story? I was super busy, and I became distracted, and I got off mission. I got off purpose. It happens to everyone, including your pastors. But what's key is I just began to have moments like, God, I want to get back on purpose. Like, in my neighbors, with my neighbors, I want to begin to say, God, what would you have me do here? How can I be of use? How can I continue the work? How can I be your representative? And he's already working. And my encouragement for you, wherever you are in life, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a working father, whether you are a college student or middle school, anything in between, I would just encourage you in your everyday life, would you just go into everything and say, Jesus, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to step into today? How can I be your representative today? Maybe small, maybe big, but I believe God will begin answering that prayer. And even though it's a simple truth, It's not profound. I believe God will profoundly change your world through it. I really do believe that. So again, two simple purposes as we're saved from our sins, from the wrath of God. Two simple purposes we're saved for. To be his lifelong disciples and we're given an insane mission as his disciples. But if every day we will walk into our days with purpose. In fact, if I was to give any of you an application, sometimes I hesitate to do this because God might be calling you to something specific. And if you already feel like he is, fantastic. But if you don't know where to get started, let me just encourage you to do the simple thing at the beginning of each day. Like, just put your metaphorical Jesus hat on, keep it on, and then just start your day with this. Jesus, how would you have me live in every sphere that I'm in today? And how would you have me be your representative today? Begin asking those two questions this week. And then just wait to see what God will do. I'm going to pray for us and then I'll give us some further instructions for just our next steps together this morning in worship.
Oh, Jesus, these are just such elementary things. They're so basic, but God, I, I really believe they're not only life-transforming for us and the work that you're going to do in, a, in us, but I think they're life-transforming for the world and the work that you want to do in us, through us, to the world. Um, so this was more of a back-to-basics kind of a morning, but would you just call us back to the basics? If, you know, I, I put earlier up there... Um, types of people, some are drifters, some are wasters. Lord, all of us, including myself, as I just confessed, we can kind of go in and out of some of those. Would you now call us back to being realizers, to people who realize the purposes and potential you have for us? Would you help us to be your disciples in every aspect of our lives? Help us to be your representatives in every aspect of our lives. And would you just do incredible things in and through us? But God, we want to recognize right now, especially as we begin to move into communion, that we have failed, and we're going to fail. And Lord, I don't want that to be an excuse for not trying. It's just, it's the reality. And because of that, God, we now actually come back here at the end, what we said at the beginning, which is the foundation of our relationship with you is not how good of a disciples we are, or even how good of representatives we are. The foundation of our relationship with you is the life you've already lived on our behalf, the death you've already died on our behalf and that you were raised to life on our behalf. And so now we go back to that and we cling to that. We ask for mercy and grace, for we have fallen short to cover over our sin. But now we ask for your grace to live the life, the abundant life that you've called us to live into. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, here's what we're going to do. Again, if you're new, what we do every week at Redeemer is the the apex, the height of, of our worship service is communion. Um, it's a time where we remember Jesus' life, but most of all, his death for us on our behalf. And, and, and here's a couple of great things you can do during this time in case you're new. And even just a reminder for those of us who have done this for a while. Sometimes what I do in these moments that I encourage you to do is reflect on what you just heard. And just ask, okay, God, like, where is there a gap between what I've heard from your word and where I've been living? And then what you do is you take that, though, and you go to the cross, which is what, his de- like, which is what communion represents, is his death. You say, Jesus, thank you for covering over where I felt. Um, maybe it has nothing to do with the sermon, though. Maybe you just reflect on your past week or your future week and just let this be a time of remembrance of Jesus and communion with him. Um, I was listening to a sermon a few years ago, and it, I, I was, like, mowing the lawn. <laughs> and I had this moment where I literally was like, a guy said something in a sermon. I literally had to stop mowing the lawn. I was like, whoa, I got to stop. And he just said, hey, the way that we talk about Jesus in church, the way that we celebrate communion, are we doing it as if he's a real person who's really in the room? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I got to stop for a second. And here's my encouragement to you. Whatever you're going to do in this time, I want you to remember, like, Jesus is here and he's with you. And so, like, you're communing with a real person who's really in the room. A, bit, a few bits of instructions. We do have some um, bread and wine over to my right. We have some bread and juice over here to my left. If you want to dip the bread in there, you can. Or if you want to do individual packets, you can do that. Whatever you do, let this be a time of personal communion between you and King Jesus. We'll worship, and then whenever you feel led, receive communion, and then we'll worship through song together. Thank you.